Okay, we're on the record. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. We are continuing Morning Blessings. I think this is part five of Morning Blessings. And this is going to be on page seven. The first, we're going to do the first three blessings today on page seven. The reason why we're doing three at a time, three together, these three are related and you'll soon see. They share a common theme, which is the soul structure of the human being. We'll soon see how, you know, everything in Torah has multiple layers to it. And we're going to go through the basic meaning of the blessings, as well as the deeper dynamic of what these blessings truly represent and how they represent the soul dynamic and our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves. And everything's going to click together. Let's start with the first blessing, page, top of page seven. We'll read it in English first. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has provided me with, every, with my every need. So thank you, God, for giving me my needs, right? Now, if you notice on the top, it says on Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur, the following blessing is omitted. We don't say those blessings on Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur. Anybody know why? Well, I would guess because we, um, one of our needs is food and we don't have food on those days. Okay. We're, we are missing a very basic need on that day. But That's also, I'll, I'll just add, I also know that we're not supposed to say this if we wake up before dawn. So maybe this, this particular blessing? I think I've read that both um, the, the first one about the rooster and I think I read this one as well. We're not supposed to say if, if, we, if it's before dawn. Okay, that's news to me. I'm going to make sure to sleep in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, what does need refer to? Uh, the, the Talmud tells us that our need, God fills my every need. It's referring to something very specific. And, and you're almost, you almost might think it's like random, like what? It's referring to shoes. That's what I say. Just tell us. Now, if, I, sorry. You said we're going to say what? Yeah, yeah. Say, what? say it. Oh. Right, there we go. Let us hear it. <laughs> I, I actually, yeah. Now I remember if you do get up before dawn and you're wearing leather shoes, I think I've read that you can say it if it's before dawn. If you're right. If you, were wearing, if you were to be wearing the shoes, then for sure. So it's referring specifically to shoes on Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur. We don't wear shoes. We do wear shoes, but we don't wear leather shoes. <coughs> when we say shoes in Halakha, it usually means leather shoes. On those days, we're not wearing shoes. There are days of Tisha B'Av is a day of mourning. Yom Kippur is a day of um, soul focus to the point that we almost, I don't want to say neglect the body, but that's not, we divert focus from the body. We don't wear shoes on that day as well as not eating. We don't do other stuff. So we don't say that blessing. When these blessings were originally established by the sages, by Ezra and his court, and, and even a little bit past that, the blessings were recited as they became relevant. So as you would put on your shoes, you'd recite this blessing. Why is shoes such a basic need? It's interesting. It's such a basic need that we're just going to refer to it ambiguously as just a need. Uh, on a basic level, you can't make a living without shoes. 
right? You can't go to work without shoes. You can't go about your needs without shoes. All of your basic needs are thanks to your ability to walk, right? The previous blessing was uh, God prepares the footsteps of man. Well, look at the two blessings before. God spreads the earth on the water, enabling us to walk. He prepares the footsteps of man. And now he gives us shoes to actually be able to practically walk, enabling us to sustain our needs. I have a question. Yeah. If somebody passes away, you can take everything of theirs except for their shoes. And you, so a son can't wear the parent's shoes. What is the principle behind that? Is it got something to do with this? I don't know. That's, that's not something I'm familiar with. So it's like you can give your shoes when you're alive, but when you're dead, you never use the person's shoes. And that's, I don't know where it comes from, but it's, um, but I mean, it's got to do with, um, I mean, we're brought up in the, in the shore. Okay. That, that's an interesting question. There, there is when somebody passes away, the mourners don't wear shoes uh, out of a sign of mourning. Is that what you're referring to? No, I'm just literally not wearing the, the, the deceased shoes. It's, it's something I'm unfamiliar with. I could, I could see if I can look, uh, find a source for that. I've never heard of that though. Okay. It's but it's, interesting. Yeah. Case we have heard it, but I know when my grandparents passed away, my mom gave away my mom, my grand sh shoes. Interesting. Interesting. You know, there was a guy once, this is going to be a, I think we should get off the record for this joke, but I'm going to say it anyways. This guy who didn't have a pair of shoes, he felt very bad about himself. Until one day he met somebody with no feet. So he said, oh, you probably have an extra pair of shoes lying around, right? <laughs> 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 okay, Johnny, raise that from the record. I didn't say that. Um, I don't know how to do that. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, but why are shoes so basic? Th think about it this way. We wake up in the morning and we thank God for the most basic of necessities. Thank, us, thank, thank God for being able to distinguish between day and night, for opening our eyes, releasing the bound, being straight up, having clothing, giving us strength, being able to walk. And thank you for shoes. Th there's a... Another explanation is shoes indicate that we walk on two feet, not on all fours. Those who walk on two feet wear shoes. Those who are ambulatory on all fours, like animals, don't wear shoes. We're essentially thank thanking God for making us human. Because there, there is something to say for being able to be on two feet. It says in Hayom Yom that those who are on two feet, humans, are looking forward. We're facing forward by default. So we have a choice. Are we going to look down or are we going to look up? Are we going to aspire to be lower? Are we going to aspire toward greatness? Animals, by default, you know, you go to a barn, animals are, are vertical. Their face is down. That's their default. We thank God for being on, not on all fours, but on two. And we have this choice to aspire uh, uh, toward greatness. We have this, the, the ability to elevate, to elevate animals as well, to elevate everything. That's another way to look at it. The Talmud says, the, the Talmud values the concept of having shoes. Believe it or not, that's a big deal in the Talmud. I guess 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, it was conceivable that one may not have shoes. 
And the Talmud says a person should sell everything they have if that's what's necessary to get a pair of shoes. It says even the beams, if you have to rip off beams from your house that are supporting your house and sell them to get a pair of shoes, get it. It's a big deal. So it's important to protect your feet. A hundred percent. It's important to stay grounded. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's important to be neurologically sound so that you can stand up on two feet. Because if you never learn to walk as a kid, then you aren't neurologically sound and you have to thank God for the, allowing you to learn how to walk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what, what we see here, though, is that shoes are a basic need. Take a look, by the way, at last week's Torah portion. Moses grew up in Egypt, grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He notices... He sees slavery going on, and he sees a Jew being beaten by an Egyptian. He takes that Egyptian out, make, make sure nobody's looking, takes him out, buries him in the sand. Afterwards, he sees two Jews fighting. He says, guys, come on. Why are we fighting? We're brothers from another mother, right? Why are we fighting? So, Mo, uh, so they say, wait a minute. Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And Moses' reaction is, oh, God. The word is out, and he flees. Goes to Midian. He meets his wife, Sipora, his father-in-law. He has a family. He's working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the Sinai Desert, he encounters a burning bush that's not being consumed. And God appears to him in the bush. And what's the first thing that God tells him? Take, Take your off shoes, his off, shoes, right? Remove the shoes. You're in the house. You're in my home. <laughs> you're on sacred earth. When you're on sacred earth, you move the shoes. That's, and that's what we do. When the Kohanim come and bless the congregation, they remove their shoes. In the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, your feet had to be directly on the ground. You had to remove your shoes. One possible explanation as to why Moses was required to remove his shoes it's a very basic need, shoes, as we're describing. And God is telling him, you're going to be the leader of the Jewish people. This is his first moment with God, being appointed as the leader of the Jewish people. You're going to redeem the Jewish people. They're slaves, you're not. You need to empathize with them. You need to feel their pain. They're lacking the most basic necessities, even shoes. So God tells him, Moses, you want to be a Jewish leader? You want to take the Jews out of slavery? You need to remove your shoes as a, as, as a means of empathizing with them. So, now, why, sorry, why, why don't we take off our shoes when we're davening? Like when, when we do davening? That's a good question. Uh, and not only we specifically put them on, right? It, it's interesting. And in, in certain contexts, it's considered admirable to remove the shoes and sometimes it, it you know we say no no you got to put the shoes on everything has its time and place it, it, it generally not having shoes would be a sign of mourning hmm. maybe god was telling him to mourn for the pain of the jewish people i don't know um but but the kohanim they do take off their shoes They're, while you're serving in the temple in the beta the shoes are off feet have to be on the ground you have to be grounded hmm. but if you look at the verbiage of this verse uh, of this blessing you'll notice that it's tense 
it doesn't say God has provided us with our needs. God has provided me with my need. Why? But it also says every need, not just need, every need. He, he should be providing every need, right? So first of all, it's one specific need, which is, you know, because I guess you could say it's referring to the shoes, but he provided it for me. He just provided it for everybody. God didn't just give shoes to John, David, Sharon, or even those who were not present uh, live. God gave shoes to everybody who has them, at least, right? He gives everybody their needs. Why does it say, in other words, one might suggest that it should say who has provided us with our every need rather than he has provided me with my very need. But there's a, there's a powerful lesson here. You know what the lesson is? We should feel that our needs come from God and God has given me everything I need. But that's how we should feel about ourselves. It's not how we should feel about other people. When it comes to other people, we need to be more generous than that. The Baal Shem Tov used to say that everything in life is a lesson in how to serve God and how to be a better person. Because everything ultimately comes from God. So somebody once challenged the Baal Shem Tov and said, well, if everything comes from God and everything's a lesson in how to serve him, what can you learn from an atheist? The notion of not believing in God. The Baal Shem Tov was quick on his feet and he explained, there's a lot to learn from an atheist. When somebody's in pain, when somebody else is in pain, when somebody else is going through a rough time, when somebody else seems to be lacking what they need, don't be a believer and say God will help you. Be an atheist and help them. <laughs> and that's why it says God has provided me with my every need. This is a need that he's given me, and I should be satisfied with what I have had, with what I have. But I shouldn't necessarily be satisfied with what other people have. I should be more generous than that. Okay, let's take a look at the deeper dynamic of this blessing, the deeper meaning of this blessing on a more Kabbalistic angle. Shoes. You have two shoes, one on the right foot, one on the left foot. What do the right and left foot represent? Balance. Sorry? Balance. Balance. Okay. I like it. Living a balanced life. Kabbalah yeah. teaches us something interesting. We're going to peek into some Kabbalistic texts that actually appear in the Siddur. So if you skip ahead to page 150. This is a, an excerpt from the Zohar one of the earliest works on Kabbalah. It's recited every Friday afternoon slash evening before Shabbos. And it describes, uh, I mean, it describes a lot of things, but it describes the soul structure of the person. It describes what we call the spheros, divine attributes. God has divine attributes. Right, we spoke about this in Tanya, but we used code language when we talked about this in Tanya. In Tanya, we called it the soul structure 
because our soul structure paralyzed, pa paralyzed, parallels, very different. Our soul structure parallels God's divine attributes. So there's the three parts of the brain, the Chachma, Bina, and Da'as, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, the Chabad. There's the seven emotional attributes. There's 10 attributes of the soul structure. God himself has soul uh, has 10 attributes as well. And each one are represented by a different body part. Um, I, I let's go. Sorry, let's go to 149. I said 150, 149, the second to last line. Everyone sees it? Starts with these. You with me? This will be our, our weekly dose uh, of Kabbalah. So on page 150? 149, bottom of 149. We're going to go back a little bit. Oh, these 10 sefirot. Yeah. So these 10 sefirot, sefirot means the divine attributes. Sefirah means to illuminate. 10 ways that God illuminates himself. Illuminates himself, uh, uh, shines with kindness, with severity. Wait, wait, there's different attributes. We'll get through them soon. These 10 sefirot proceed according to their order, one long, one short, and one intermediate. You are he who, top of 150, directs them, but there is no one who directs you, neither above nor below, nor from any side. So God has various personalities that he's in charge of, but they're not in charge of him. You have made garments for them from which souls issue forth to man. Just hold on tight, and you'll soon see how this all fits in. You've made for them a number of bodies, which are called bodies in comparison with the garments which cover them. And they are described anthropomorphically, got the word right, right? In the following manner. Okay. Chesed, kindness. That represents the right arm. So the, and that's why in general, the right side is the divine channel of kindness. You're supposed to tie your, put on your right shoe first. Just put, a, put on your right sleeve first. In general, we give priority to kindness. And the right side is the, is the channel of kindness. This is it goes on the right side. Givura. We're left-handed. If you're left-handed, that's your right hand. So we do, so we do reverse it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Givura, severity. That's power. Discipline, that's the left arm. Tiferet, the beauty, that's the torso. So notice that the right side, chesed, takes an extreme. Right? It's, it's, the, it's to the right, <laughs> as we say in our political climate. Severity is to the left. But beauty has that balance, that middle ground. You're talking about balance before, Sharon. Netzach, eternity, victory. The ability to be resilient, right? And hold splendor. The ability to power through also. That represents the two thighs. We'll talk about that soon. That's strength. So, sorry? That's strength because you've got to power through. Yes, yes. It, it definitely right. overlaps with strength, 100%. And then you have yesod, foundation or connection. That's the end of the torso. That's Sign the of the Holy Covenant. The Yasod is the bottom of the legs, the foundation. That, that, that's exactly. And that, that's what's going to unite the Netzach and the Yas and, and, and the Netzach and the Hod. Okay. Put a bookmark here. We're going to refer back to this in a second. I have a question. Are we elevating shoes? Oh, 100%. So basically, the, well, the, it depends the what you do with those shoes, depends where you're going. So the shoe <laughs> 
all everything of all those attributes. So they take the weight, they, so you're elevating the shoes and you're thanking God for the shoes, but you're actually supposed to thank God for the whole person. Exactly. As the shoes are just, are the foundation of all of that. But the, the shoes, you know, the, the, we said the thigh, the two thighs it, represent the netzach and hod, which are two forms of strength and resilience, victory and splendor. Yeah. Which represents basically, th those are the lowest, those are toward the bottom of the chain of the attributes. That's the ability to serve God and the ability to be present in a relationship and persevere, be resilient in a relationship, not because it makes sense to you, which would be intellect, and not because you're in love or because you have a deep respect, which we'll talk about those soon, and those are important, but because this is what needs to get done. But that's what the two legs represent, being upheld by the shoes. How often are we not necessarily in the mood to do something we really should be doing? And we try to find meaning in it, and it's, it's just not clicking. We try to awaken passion, or at least respect, and it's just not working. So then we tell ourselves, you know what? It just has to get done. It's not optional. That's what Netzach and Hod represent. That's the two shoes. The two shoes are what facilitates that. The two shoes are the garments of that. The two shoes are the behavior. Garments represent behavior. It's the external, because um, garments are the external just like garments are, are what you wear, it's not who you are. The garments of emotion are the behavior that they facilitate. Does that make sense? Like we, not, in chapter I mean, four of Tanya, we refer to, to garments as, as mitzvahs, as deed, as action. What doesn't make sense, if you've got normal people and they have got no problems, then that makes sense. But what happens if you've got problems? Like as in you're born CP and you can't use your legs or you can't put the shoes on because your feet are in a wrong position. Right. So so that's going to make the, you're right. And that will make the spiritual in, a Kabbalistic interpretation more meaningful. In other words, one in that situation won't be able to relate to the literal interpretation of thanking God for the basic necessity of shoes, but they can relate to the divine attributes the soul attributes that the shoes that the legs that the shoes facilitate that the legs represent which is netzach and hod two forms of, of resilience in a relationship does that make sense yeah but it's a good question so tomorrow morning we're gonna put on our shoes and we're gonna say thank you god for my need and there's a few things to reflect on here, a few things to think about. Thank you for my needs. I got what I need. But there's other people out there that are in pain. Please help them. We have to empathize with others. But the other meditation here is, I have these two attributes that I need to access. The netzach, the ability to be victorious, and the hod, the ability to concede the ability to essentially be resilient.
and my shoes are the what's going to get me walking, what's going to get me to activate and, and, and actually practice those two attributes. Make sense? Should we only say this blessing if we have shoes on? Um, no, you could still say it without shoes on. The, the tradition these days is to recite all the blessings, even, um, even if they're not necessarily relevant. And I guess, like you said earlier, it really means leather shoes, right? The, yeah, theoretically. So if, if you're not wearing leather shoes, I think I'm pretty sure you still say it. Right, that's a good question. Unless it's before dawn. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you can never be too appreciative. So you can say them for sneakers too, I'm sure. I'm having the same for slippers, actually. Yeah, exactly. Take a look at the next blessing. And you'll see how this represents another level. We'll get there soon in, in this whole structure. Back to page seven, the second blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who girds the people of Israel with might. God girds us with might, with strength. We're belted <laughs> with power. What does that mean? So, so again, back in the day when these blessings used to be recited as they became relevant, one would recite this blessing as they would put on their belt. And that's known to give strength. What gives you your strength, what upholds your torso is your belt. That represents the strength of your body. But what is your torso where your, where your belt uh, is, is uh, being held? What does that represent? So you know who used to wear a belt every single day? There's a tradition, you'll see your Chabad rabbi put on a belt, special belt when they daven, when they pray, the, right? The gar gartel. The gartel, right? Gartel is a Yiddish word for basically for a belt. Hmm. Where does that tradition come from? You're about to pray, you got to buckle up, right? Put on your seatbelt. But where, where does that tradition come from? The, the, where, does, where do we see this historically, that people would wear a gartel? Is this somewhere in the Torah? It's in the Torah. Oh, the, the, the Kohen Gadol. Good, good. The Kohen Gadol, and truth is all of the Kohanim, when they would serve, they, the Kohen Gadol, the, the, the high priest, the big Kohona, as they say, right, had eight sacred garments, eight specific garments that he had to wear. And one of them was a belt. And where would he wear this belt? Usually a belt is worn you know, around your lower waist. Hold up your pants, right? But this belt was actually level with his elbows. The belt was level with his elbows. And it, if you see to this day, many people, when they put on their guard tool, they, they wear it high up for that reason, because that's how the Kohen Gadol would wear his belt. So the Kohen Gadol is essentially holding up or being level with two arms. What do the two arms represent? Let's go back to page 150. Um, 150, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the seventh line. 
going back to the soul structure and how and, and how the, the, the spheroids represent various body parts. Chesed, the channel of kindness, of God's kindness, that represents the right arm. Gevura, severity, power, represents the left arm. And then you have Tiferet, which means beauty, which basically means the, the perfect blend between Chesed and Gevura, kindness and severity or discipline. That's the torso. So this belt goes on the torso, right under the Chesed and the Gevura, representing those three attributes. So that represents our love for God. It represents our reverence for God. It represents our tiferet, our pride, being proud to be a Jew, being proud to be a people of God. It's very different than the previous sefirot, the netzach and hod that we spoke about. The netzach and hod is resilience. Am I in the mood? I don't know. Do I understand it? I don't know. Do I appreciate it? I don't know. Do I care? I don't know. But I'm going to do it because this is right, right? It's resilience. This level, the two arms and the torso represent the state where I love God. I value this relationship. I have a deep respect for God. I have a pride in him. I'm proud of God. I'm proud to be part of his people. I'm proud of his values. I'm proud to be a Jew. And that gives us strength. When we wear that belt of honor, that gives us strength. That's the second level of the soul structure. Okay, you with me? The next level, the next blessing, the third one on page seven. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who crowns the people of Israel with glory. So we've moved up in the body. We started with the feet. We moved to the torso and arms. And now God crowns Israel with glory. We've moved to the head, to the crown. This blessing, again, is we say these blessings in one lump sum, but traditionally they were recited as it became relevant. So as one would wear their hat, kippah, or some sort of head covering, that's when they would recite that blessing. And the very simple meaning is thank you, God, for, for that distinct Jewish tradition of a head covering. But what does the head represent? When it comes to the divine spherot, when it comes to the divine attributes, personalities, go back to page 150. Let's, let's start from line seven. We're going to be through all of them. Yeah, line seven. You see it? Page 150. Chesed, kindness is the right arm. Gavura, severity, power is the left arm. Tiferet, which is beauty, is the torso. Netzach, which is eternity and victory. And hod, which are splendor, is the two thighs. Yisod is the foundation, the end of the torso, the sign of the Holy Covenant. Malchut, kingship, is the mouth, which we call the oral Torah. Chachma, wisdom, is the brain. That is the thought within. Bina, understanding, is the heart. Okay, so what does the brain, what does the head represent? 
where we put our crown. God crowns us with glory. What is this glory that we refer to? We call this in Tanya lingo Chabad. The three intellectual faculties, Chachma, wisdom. Wisdom meaning I'm open to an idea, even if it's not something I yet comprehend, even if it's beyond my comprehension. It's essentially a, a deep sense of humility. Bina, my ability to process that idea and, and, and understand it. Da'at, knowledge, the ability to internalize the idea. Make it emotionally relevant. I don't, I don't see dot mentioned here, though. I see, I see Hakma and Bina. Yeah, it, it's often, it often does go on. It's mentioned in other places. It does often go unmentioned because that really just serves as a bridge between intellect and emotions. It's essentially the applic. It's the emotional application of the intellect. So if, if an idea remains purely philosophical, what one is lacking is that, right? So if a cardiologist is smoking on his lunch break, he has the idea, he knows that cigarettes are dangerous, but he's lacking the adat. He's not, he's not applying it emotionally, right? So, so you're saying dots is the bridge between Chachma and Bina? It's, it's, no, it's the bridge between Chachma and Bina together and the emotions. Oh. So if, if you wanted an idea to inspire you emotionally, you would need a dot. You need that. If an idea remains purely philosophical, but you don't find it emotionally relevant, or one is lacking that. So, so that essentially serves as that bridge. There's, there's no action without das, right? It, there, there, das is an action. It is, it is essentially an action. Because you have to actually apply to make uh, apply the idea to make it relevant. In other words, how does this that mean means asking oneself, what does this idea mean to me practically? It's, it's always amazed me because it's this is how children learn. It's how everyone learns, but especially children. You know, I, I, when I was a teacher, we went through learning uh, theory, right and and all that and there has to be i mean this essentially said it hundreds of years before it was ever encoded in into uh academia right right you just you, you have to there has to be a a uh you have to want to find out the knowledge you learn the knowledge and then you use the knowledge Das is using the knowledge to make it relevant, right? Right. So, you know, the example that's given often for Das is there was one say, they, they, they say an analogy. It's not a true story necessarily because it could be. There was an individual who received a letter, but he was illiterate. So he showed the letter to somebody who knew how to read and said, can you read this to me? The guy reads the letter to him, and the, the listener, not the reader, faints. The reason is because the letter informed him that his father had passed away. 
right? They revive him and whatever. And, and, and the question that's asked is, well, wait a minute. Who understood the letter better? The one who heard it or the one that read it? The one that read it had more academic or intellectual familiarity. The one that heard it, he just heard it from somebody else. So why did it impact him more? Because it was his father. It mattered more. Right? The first guy who just read it nonchalantly, he was lacking da'at. The second guy may have been lacking the same level, may, may, may have been deficient in his level of comprehension and academic comprehension, but, the, but it mattered more to him. The ability to empathize with somebody else, that's da'at. Where I don't just know that they're going, that, that somebody else is in pain. You know, I, I, I get it. I feel it. I experience it. So somebody who's a psychopath ha doesn't have the ability to have dots. Perhaps. Perhaps. Or maybe, I don't know. Can they be trained? I don't know. Can, can, can empathy maybe be... pretend? I, yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't know the, the psychology of it. If, if, it's, if a person permanently doesn't have dots or if it's just buried... Can it be trained? I don't know. That's a big debate. Can you teach somebody to be empathetical? Theoretically, no. You can teach them to behave well, but you can't give them the empathy. Interesting. So they can go through the motion, but not actually experience it. And you always check um, bad behavior through history of bad behavior. So you kind of, if they've done it before, it's always a possibility that they could do it again. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you can, they, they, there's always a secondary gain with somebody who's a psychopath. Otherwise, you wouldn't be given that diagnosis. Interesting. So, so you, you might say that the, the you know, the, the psychological diagnosis, let's say, would be a psychopath is, is lacking the ability to empathize and ability. The spiritual di diagnosis would be a deficiency in das. Which would, which would make sense that when somebody is not held accountable because of mental incompetency in halacha, we say they're not a ben da'as. They're not somebody who has da'as. Right? Children under barabat mitzvah are not held liable for, for their, their, you know, accountable, I should say, for their actions because they don't they're not considered to have da'as. They're not considered to understand the repercussions of their actions it's just an idea okay i do this but they're not actually going to connect to what they're doing they have potential to develop the dice exactly psychopath doesn't have the potential and never will exactly it and and it's interesting because the day before 12 for a girl or 13 for a boy they're not expected to to have das <laughs> they're not the day after they're expected to have das <laughs> But, that, but that, that's how it works. It's, it is interesting how this all kind of fits together. What we see in these three blessings is the full soul structure of a person. The first one, thank you, God, for my every need. That's the shoes. That's the two legs. That's the netzach and hod, the ability to be resilient in a relationship, even if you're not yet feeling it or appreciating it emotionally or intellectually. The second one, God girds us with might. That's our torso and our arms that represents the emotional um, connection to God. Love, reverence, pride, 
And then finally, God crowns us with glory. That's the head that represents the intellectual connection with God. But what's interesting is the order. There's a debate. There's different traditions as to what order these blessings are recited. And they're all beautiful traditions. But the tradition we follow here, according to the Kabbalah of the Arizal, is we, we follow this specific order top, bottom to top. Because the starting point of a healthy relationship is not actually your intellectual appreciation or even your emotional connection. It is when you're dating. <laughs> but, but once you've passed the dating stage, you're committed, you're married. So the core of the relationship is the resilience. This is the right thing. We're going to stick to it. And then we move up. Let's try to emotionally experience it. Let's try to intellectually appreciate it. But the bottom, the first one, the core, is that this relationship with God that we have, whether we uh, intellectually understand it yet or emotionally appreciate it yet or not, is essentially valuable. And hopefully these blessings and the, the process of prayer, as we unfold and unpack the prayers, we get closer uh, toward aligning ourselves with that and emotionally experiencing that. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>